All right. So what are we talking about today? Grace. We are talking about Grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I say. Well, well, well. My, my, my. Well, well, well. Cool. So what are you drinking? I, I am drinking uh, Miller High Life. Nice. The champagne of beer. The champagne. I had of some beer. in my, uh, I had some in my fridge. It's getting a little warm because I poured it a while ago. <laughs> I'm drinking a uh, um a red blend today. It was um a gift from my sister. Uh, she got it's a uh, 19 crimes. The warden. I actually don't know anything about this wine. It's an Australia wine. Oh. I know that. Um, Turn it. Let me see. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, let's see. Composition. Uh, it's just. It looks like it's a. <laughs> it's just a bunch of red, <laughs> a bunch of red blends. So I mean, it's it's not bad. It's um, not really complex at all. It's a very smooth wine. I think it's meant to go with dinner. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not really complex at all. Maybe as it sits out in the the the. Uh, that gets a little bit more oxygenated. It'll be good. My only concern is that with red wine after, you know, what what is that in the red wine that when you re-drink it, it, um, it can give you a headache. Yeah, what, what's in the cheaper reds or whatever? I forget. Oh, what. sulfites? The sulfites, yeah. Yeah. That's one of my concerns. Sulfite free. So, we'll see. They're all like, oh, do you have sulfite free wine? Yeah, I had to deal with that. At Trader Joe's. Really? Is there yeah, such a thing as sulfite-free wine? Yeah, they had to, like, take it out. So How? I don't know. Or at least it's out. I thought it was out there. Yeah, well, maybe it or is. It's, or it's way reduced. Reduced. Like, yeah, well, if you think about it, like, non-alcoholic beer still has That's alcohol true. in it. Yeah. It's just, like, one-tenth of one percent or something stupid. That makes sense. So what's going on, dude? Oh, not too much. Lisa went back to school. Or back to school. Back to school, which is work. Work. Yeah. Back to work today. That's okay. I called school too. <laughs> is she okay? I know. Some people are like, oh, what is she getting her degree? And I was like, oh no, no, she works at a school. Yeah. Yeah. No, she she went back today. It went all right. She said it was a little boring. Yeah. But she's got a cold, so she went to bed way early today. I was wondering whenever you called me at night or texted me at like nine thirty. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, yeah. wait, I promised GV I'd hang out with her for a little bit before." Before, before I know that was bad too because I'm like, "Well, they would be happy to do this earlier." Because <laughs> well, like, she went to bed like around ten, and I'm like, "Oh, I'll get, I'll get a no, maybe a little after that." Because we wanted to watch another Stranger Things episode, and I was like. Uh, you're gonna fall asleep. You should go to bed. You're like way coughing. Did you guys watch another episode? No, she, I, I put oh. her to bed, and then I did the dishwasher and put the dishes in. But I watched part of Coming to America before I did that. <laughs> Probably about thirty-five minutes or forty minutes, and yeah. then I did all this with you. And then you're like, "Okay, um, let's do this at ten thirty. And I'm like, "Wow, oh. <laughs> now what am I gonna do?" Sorry. So I grabbed my <laughs> Superman comic book. Oh, nice. And I read this instead. What is that one? Uh, it's uh, Imperious Lex. It's volume six of the Rebirth. So it's uh, four parts of Superman and Lex Luthor on Apocalypse. And then another th- uh, a one-shot and a two-part story. But it's all from about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. On the Rebirth Superman volume. Cool. Yeah. That would be so kind of fun it, to do also if we, like, if we picked up the same comic book series. Oh, to review it? We're going to review that. <clears throat> Although I know I know Jack about comic books, but you know tons, so. Yeah. Well, you can read the story. I, I, I had an idea for a podcast that I haven't. That, that I'm not sure if I got it from somebody else. Like I heard it or not. But I was like, what if I sat there and. And have a book, like, you know, and then have my dad read it and see what he'd say. And then, like, record it because and then see how he liked it. Because he doesn't know 
he doesn't know nothing about superheroes. Yeah, but the story's cool, so I'm sure he'd get into it. Yeah, if it's a good story, but then he could find it like crap or something, you know? Yeah. Like, what's it called? Uh, my mother-in-law saw, like, Aquaman or something, or on the plane, and she's like, well, you know the things that I didn't understand? And the I'm movie? like, oh, man. Aquaman, the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> She didn't see Aquaman on a plane. Yeah, right. I wasn't sure if it was a comic book or, or whatever, but yeah, Aquaman. No, 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 it was, was the movie. It was, was on. not very good. <laughs> Oh, I liked the movie. Did you like it? I didn't like it at all. I oh. thought it was very pretty. Like I thought it was just oh, it was super pretty. Yeah, the 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 special effects were fantastic, but everything else, I just couldn't buy. <coughs> I oh, even... I thought it was fun. Yeah, I thought it had its moments. <laughs> it had Ocean Master and Black Manta. I couldn't ask for much more. That's true. They both were in there. They were. They definitely did some fan service. Oh yeah. As, they... uh, um. And his uh, Aquaman outfit was on par. Yes. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, but half the time I'm like, what What film am I watching? For when the soundtrack was all over the place. And then um, and then just the style of film kept changing. Like, is this an action film? And then all of a sudden, wait, are, is this is this National Treasure? Are we, are we searching for something? And, yes. And, and then it felt like Mission Impossible at some points, and I'm like, wait a second, this is this is this is every genre of film possible right now. Sometimes I think of it more like two movies that they put into one. They're like, well, we're probably never going to get Aquaman two, so put it in there. <laughs> it's like yeah. Spider Man three was two movies put into one. That's that why. It, that's why it failed. Sure, that's why it failed. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good part. <laughs> All right. Um, what else is going on? Oh, that's all pretty big for now. Cool. I got an email or email, well, like a, I guess a Facebook message from um, one of my former students' mom, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Oh. So she sent me a, um, she she sent me a little link and said that her um, her son is doing a podcast. It was a it's a pro life podcast, and he has a couple episodes on there. And she said I should check it out. So I did. Oh, did she know that you were doing a podcast? No, we don't really advertise this. So, yeah. but uh, she was just trying to get some, get some, I guess, advertisement for her son. And she knows I work for the church, so so she maybe she was like, I can promote it for other people. But it's basically a um, it's it's a pro life one, and so anybody who's interested in um, pro life stuff. Right. He, yeah, they're short. They're I think the longest one was forty seven minutes or something like that. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, and they're interview based. And so the one that I listened to, he interviewed um, uh, the Archbishop of somewhere. Where did he? Who did he interview? That's pretty impressive. Right. Right. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. Um, although, if I had to critique it, it was very cold. The interview. You know, have you ever listened to a Raymond Arroyo interview? No. Oh, okay. Um, so his interviews are really interesting because he asks fantastic questions. Um, it's called the Vita Podcast. I probably should have looked this up before I started talking about it. Anyway. We do our research here. Yeah, we do. Um, available episodes. He's got eight episodes on this thing. Archbishop um, Joseph Nauman. And he is from the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. Oh. Yeah, so he's a pro-life coordinator in St. Louis. And so, anyway, so he interviews them and he asks really good questions. Like, they're, they're questions that people that, that want to know, like, you know, how he got involved with the pro-life movement and um, and all that stuff. And, I mean, the Archbishop has a really cool backstory. Um, but... And this is the problem that I have with Raymond Arroyo whenever he does his interviews is he asks these great questions, but he has no emotion in the conversation at all. Raymond Arroyo. I don't know if you've ever, but it's it's very like, um, tell us a little bit about your dad. And then he'd start talking about his dad. Tell us now about this. You know, it's just very, you know, there was very cool. He doesn't even give up. I don't know if it's nice. exactly, yeah, nothing, nothing like that. And I don't know if there was, I don't know if it's a, a style of journalism or, or kind of a just the facts, ma'am type stuff. But it sounds like that, right, right. And that's and that's what that's what it felt like. But it was, I don't know if that's the intention to just keep the focus on the person that's being interviewed versus the interviewer. 
And maybe that's the thing. I don't know. I just, I don't, I mean, he has some kind of degree in journalism, so I'm sure he knows what he's doing. But anyway, so the Vita podcast, if anybody wants to check that out, I should probably figure out how to put a link in that in the show notes. Show notes. Mm-hmm. Especially for people who want to get involved with the pro-life movement because he talks deeply about that. And I didn't know where I wanted to start with this, but I knew I wanted to talk about grace because I can I know it's foundational and I don't think a lot of people understand it. I actually, um, I had a, uh, a student inside, the inside my office last week and this week, and he's doing some catch up work. And last week I asked, he ha- he was there with the sponsor and he read the chapter on grace in the book. And then I said, um, just what is grace? And again, it was like usually what you get in a classroom full of Catholics when you ask the question, what is grace? You got just silence. Um, right. Yeah. Right. I think, I think a, a part of that is we're afraid to guess because, you know, especially Roman Catholicism, we're so clear on what we believe and, and so detailed in what we teach that I think people are afraid to get stuff wrong. And then, right. um, yeah. And then tie that with the, I guess, abstractness of how we understand grace for the most part. I mean, that's, that's probably, probably a lot of the issue. But, um, I guess if we're diving into it and we want to talk about grace, is there's really primarily two distinctions we want to make when we're talking about grace. And I don't want to make, I don't make this like a, a teaching thing too much, but I do want to have some theological background here. So that way people understand what we're talking about when we talk about grace, right? We have, uh, what we call, actual grace and that kind of is the is the first instance of grace and actual grace we don't mean like actual versus not real no by actual it's the metaphysical sense of actual it's that it's in action you know it's it's doing something um and it's leading toward a particular end and that end being a sanctifying grace but um actual grace actual grace is that like um that prompting that we can either participate with or reject, you know, if you, I mean, I'm sure you've heard people say something along the lines of like, I feel God is calling me to whatever, right. Or, or, um, uh-huh. I feel called to do this, you know, and that is either a cooperation with an actual grace prompting, prompting, or, um, or it actually can be a rejection of an actual grace prompting because oftentimes, you know, whenever we have that prompting of um, God calling us to do something in our lives, but it can be, I guess, depending on where our conscience is and where we are in our walk with God, it can be so, um, I don't want to say repulsive, but um, difficult to swallow. <coughs> <laughs> difficult to swallow um but um and so oftentimes we'll, we'll come up with reasons or ways to reject that um that prompting of god Does that makes sense and so we'll we'll say that i feel god is calling me to do this when in actuality god is calling us to do the opposite of that but we won't find that out till much later uh, and so right. we had, and so God uses that event of us turning away from Him in order to lead us back to Him because God's cool like that, draw straight with crooked lines and all that. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Right. Uh, so that's that's what we mean by actual grace, and then sanctifying grace is the grace that actually saves. That's why it's sanctifying; it makes you holy. Right. That's uh, the best way to define that. It's the life of God living in you. Right. So the divine life in you being actually what St. Paul would call in Christ, um, being connected to the mystical body of Christ that, um, uh, if we stay connected to, uh, and don't reject leads us ultimately to salvation. So that's, those are the distinctions that we make. Um, and you had a student, uh, in confirmation class that asked about, God's participation in this and, and, and how, and of course, when we, when we talk about grace and we talk about the promptings of grace, the question inevitably comes up about, um, predestination, right? Oh, yes. And you had a, you had a, so tell the story of that kid. That was interesting. Uh, he kept thinking, cause it was very time, you know, when we think of nonlinear time. 
And he was very much like, you know, God knows the future and the past kind of thing. He was very focused on, well, if God already knows what you're going to do, you know, when you die now, then you've already, what's it called, have your judgment set up. Because, so it's like, oh, so if he could see the future, per se, then he already knows you did all these bad things, so you're already going to go to hell now. Right. So what does it matter what I do? Or something like that, or whichever. And I said, well, you could also already go to heaven. Right. Almost this um, Calvinistic or neo-Calvinistic idea of double predestination, and some people... Uh, since everything's inevitable, some people are already um, destined destined for heaven, while other people are destined for hell. That's double predestination. This idea that whenever you were created, you were created either for heaven or you were created essentially for hell. You know? But and that's different, though. Right. Because right. he's not pointing out the fact that he was made to go one way or the other or or God predestined him that it was the fact that he's already see like if you look at it like predestination would work in a linear way too because it's like no matter what this is what's going to happen because that's it but he's just trying to say he already read the end of the book oh yeah you know and so that's... he knows the butler did it so oh well if he's saying that because I was, I was under the impression that he was saying that um that I'm I'm damned with if I do I'm damned if I don't. I don't know. He was going into that, but his whole point was he's the butler as a teenager, you know. So God knows that the butler did the murder in the book, mm-hmm. but the butler doesn't know that because the book hasn't even started, you know. That makes the plot sense. Plot of the murder mystery hasn't started yet because he's still a young butler, so he doesn't have a clue that that's what's going to happen. But that's but to me that would that would make me, I guess, be in all of the the the, the radical uh, recklessness of God's love because you know it's it's the, it's like um, think about a, a mother and son relationship, right? The, the mom knows that the son's going to do something terrible um, no matter what she does to try to stop it. Uh, he does something terrible, but the mom doesn't stop loving him because she's his mom and she loves him. Right. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of God's position more than anything else. It's, it's this idea that, um, you know, God can see the whole parade at once, right? The, the uh, versus, right. versus one person after another. And so – he knows that somebody's not going to be participating in it or he's going to turn away or he's going to try to wreck the parade or whatever. But what's what's fascinating about God is God uh, there's there's something that um that we teach is this idea that God um God's grace is sufficient. Means that uh he goes to every person and reaches out to every single person in ways that they can respond to him in ways that that is particular to them that only works for them and and God will and it makes them perfectly able to recognize God and respond to God right however they understand that i mean even if there's um even if through no fault of their own they don't recognize Christ as God because of whatever stumbling blocks that are in their way and they don't understand uh, Christ is the way we do, but they recognize the truth, beauty, and goodness of reality, and that they pursue with all their with all their being. Right? That's that's the sufficient grace of God. Right? And what's what's fascinating then is that if God, then knowing that a person's going to reject him no matter what, and yet God still continually says, "Here I am. I'm here for you, and I love you." That's that's. The craziness and the recklessness of, of God's love or God's um, God's grace poured out. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it still wouldn't help what he's thinking. Right. Maybe if you put it that way. Right. But the fact is, God's always going to love us even if we're triple murderers. 
Yeah, but the difference is, is not God's. Is, I think we we misunderstand the idea that God loves us regardless of we're triple murderers. No, God pursues us even if we're triple murderers. God, God chases after us and tries to convince us in only in ways that only we could respond in order to respond back to Him. I can't remember which saint it was, but one of the saints. Um, it's probably Thomas Aquinas. It's, most stuff is attributed to him, right? But the idea is that um, is that nobody who's in hell got there and said, "This isn't fair. This doesn't make sense." You know, that, that's the idea that if 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 I die and I went to hell, I would I would not blame God for my myself being in hell. I would say that this is exactly what I wanted. Does that make sense? This is how I lived out my life, and I want to be completely separated from God. I chose that in my life, and this makes sense in my death. I guess if you if you look at it that way, but will do those people always realize that, or is that when they realize it when they're there that that's what they chose? Because mm, you know, like how they they always point out, like you know, in storytelling, it's like the the best villains are the ones that think they're the heroes. Right, right. Yeah, this this is. <sighs> I'm doing the greater thing by cleansing the earth of all the oh. unpure, <laughs> and then by mass genocide the universe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Thanos was doing it for the right reasons. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's um. The, the way that I understand it is that I don't know necessarily that they're choosing that we – I don't know if we consciously would call it hell in our choice in life. But then the recognition of it in death would be, yes, this is an – I, I reject everything that is true, good, and beautiful in this life. And I and I want that in my death, or that is that is what I'm getting in my death. And yes, this is what I deserve in my death. Even that, even that rejection. Uh, see, this is where I need a moral theologian. See, the, the, even if that rejection is a the way that I understand it anyway. Even if that rejection is a rejection in our a practical rejection, almost like a, a practical. Um, atheism so to speak you know like um for example like i might go to church on sundays and 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 all this stuff but then i live my life as if god doesn't exist and i reject everything about the church regardless of the fact that i go every sunday or whatever that's like right. practical atheism right and and then to to die and be separated from god be like oh yeah i didn't actually you know this is this is the way i live my life and this is what i get in death you know i don't know, I don't know if that makes sense I should I should read more about that. Yeah, yeah, do that, and then come back here and explain it. <laughs> and explain <laughs> and explain how people in hell understand hell. There, I know there was a book. Um, I haven't read all the way through it yet, but I know it's the controversial one by uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar. It's called Dare to Hope, um, and in it, it's it's this idea of um, hoping that there is nobody in hell, because uh, in in the New Testament. Um, uh, it says that uh, God wills that all men might be saved, right? Right. And if and if God wills it, then it is so. And so that's where you get some of like the universalists or whatever that believe that all people will go to heaven eventually. Um, versus, you know, Jesus saying that the um, the 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 path is is wide and easy that leads to destruction, right? Versus the the narrow gate that leads to eternal life, and so how do you reconcile the two? And the idea, depending on who you're talking to, but from what I understand about Hans Urs von Balthasar, I haven't finished the book yet. But this idea is that um, it's not our job to decide or try to um, guess the number of people who are in hell, but instead it's our job to hope. And to live as if everybody's going to heaven and to treat them as if everybody's going to heaven, which would be something along the lines of what like a saint or no saint, <laughs> but uh, C.S. Lewis had said in, um, in the weight of glory, he said that, uh, um, he said that every person that you encounter, you've never encountered a near mortal. Every person that you encounter, if you were to encounter them in eternity, would either be a, a horror, the only imaginable in your nightmares 
or a splendor um, that you would be, if you saw it recognized in this life, would you be tempted to fall down and worship, right? That, that is who we encounter day to day. We are not encountering mere mortals. mortals. We're encountering uh, angels or, or devils. That's who, that's who we interact with. And thus, um, our interactions with them lead them towards one end or the other, right? And, and that's what he meant by the weight of glory. The weight of glory is our neighbor's glory. It's the encounters that we have uh, with one another that either guide us toward heaven or toward hell. And I think that's what Hansers von Balthasar is trying to get at as well, is this idea that our job is to hope everyone is going is is on the direction towards heaven and therefore whenever we encounter them that we should every person that we encounter we should walk away from they are that encounter should be as such that if we walk away from them they are better for having encountered us right no yeah. i like that way because i i, I feel that way too because i always feel like there's some redeeming qualities and then when we explain hell of being like the total absence of God, then, you know, it's like, ah, even if you're really bad, there's still all these things where you'd still have somewhat of a connection. And so I guess I've always looked at it more of that, hoping everybody is destined for heaven or probably is going to heaven kind of feel. And then when you just explained it there with the, the glory of how it is that you uh, treat other people, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, when, when they say something like leave, leave that place better than the way you found it. Right. Like if you're renting a room or something like that or at a hotel, I don't know, not a hotel. Cause <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? You know, like if you're renting a house yeah. for the weekend and you're supposed to leave it nice and stuff. Right. Right. Or so, we go on retreat you, and I tell the kids whenever we're, we're cleaning up the place at Potosi, I mean, let's, let's leave this better than when we found it, you know, let's clean it right. up. And if you're supposed to do that with people, that's good. And then we, like you were saying about assuming that they're going to go to heaven, so we should look at them that way. Where, you know, what I hate about, <clears throat> you know, modern society is if you, you, you don't usually want to say you're a Christian because then they're like, oh, well, you're like the, the people who are hypocritical and hate everybody and think everyone's going to hell. Right. You know, and you're like, well, uh, geez. And there are so many people like that because, yeah. like you're saying, you know, we should treat everybody in a loving way this way. But how many people are there like, oh, you know what that guy does? He's right. Oh, you know what they do? It's, it's so true. I mean, have you have you seen you, – you probably haven't yet because you guys are still watching um, or you haven't finished season three of uh, um, Stranger Things. But the uh, Amazon Prime put out this new show called The Boys. Have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah. No, I know it. Oh my goodness! Do you did you read the graphic novels or any of that? I, I didn't read the comics, but I mean, I knew all of them for years. Okay, well, they do. I think such a good job. I mean, it's it's a it's a morally questionable at best. The show, so watch at right. your own risk, people. But um, and don't watch with the kids. Terrible idea. Oh, um, I will. Well, I'll, I'll watch it. I don't think I'll <laughs> let Robert watch it. All right, but um. I think they do a fantastic job of painting the cultural idea of what Christianity is in the pop culture, um, I guess in the, in the post-Christian culture that we're living in. Uh, they have this, they have this scene. It was fantastic. So well done of this rally. Um, I think, I think it really painted what pe most people think about when they think about Christianity. It was this Christian rally where all these people were gathered outside and there were tents and all that stuff. And there was this big stage and there was a musician there, um, singing this song about Jesus and had like angel wings coming out at the finale. And it was just really dramatic. And the music was so on par with like what Christian music is nowadays where it's like that that generic real feel good poppy stuff that I, that I can't stand. Sorry, everybody who listens to SOS radio. Um, not everybody in SOS radio is bad, but there's a lot of bad music anyway. Um, so, he, and then, and then the, the, the pastor guy comes up who is a superhero. Basically he's, he's super stretchy or something like that. And he comes up on stage and, um, he does this thing and like, every, he's like, everybody cheer for Jesus and everybody's cheering for Jesus. 
And then he does this thing. He lean, he, he, he does the, the youth pastor thing that we've seen probably a hundred times people do on stage where, um, he, he gets real low. He says, Hey, Hey, lean in, lean in right here. So Jesus, Jesus said, Hey bro, Hey bro, bring it in. You shouldn't need proof. You should just believe because I say so, because you have faith. People who have faith, those are my peeps, y'all. That's what Jesus said. I'm like, oh my goodness. But it, I think it's I think it's the perfect picture of what most people think of in our culture now whenever they think of Christianity. And you know what? It turns out in that video, this guy was horribly corrupt. He was, uh, I mean, they were saying that the uh, it cost $75 to go to their little concert thing. Right. And then um, you could have a, uh, a private meeting with him uh, to, for $15,000 or you oh, know, wow. like exuberant amount of money. Um, and it turns out he was into all kinds of sexual deviancy and just, just – just awful, awful person, right? Right. And that is what people think of right now when they think of the church or they think of Christians, I think. Um, and so, yeah, that's it's it's such a, I think, well-painted picture of what most people think of whenever they think of Christianity, which boggles my mind a little bit because that's not my experience of Christianity. Right. And it's and it's got to be it's like the Westboro Baptist or whatever, right? That paint that picture, or you're still feeling a John Lithgow kind of footloose kind of guy who's just so fire and brimstone and doesn't want you to have any fun. Yeah, you know. So it's kind of like okay, and then you do have you know people. There's people even at our church or something that you hear on what the things they'll say about stuff. And you're like, dang. Right, you're very close-minded, or oh yeah, or very, or judgmental. like super, yeah, yeah, super judgmental, or very like way right-leaning. That it's like, wow, that's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> when in actuality, we we don't fit neatly and in, into any political party. If you really, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and I think what ends up happening is Christianity gets painted with a broad brush from the worst representations of Christianity. Yes. Uh, but that is, that is, I guess, what it means to be in the body of Christ, though, isn't it? Because if if one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Right. And I think that that is a really good picture of the suffering Christ. But the difference being, we've inflicted the suffering upon ourselves. And, but not all parts are suffering, right? Some parts of the body of Christ, like we are, uh, I mean, like I am definitely, you know, a, a hypocrite, right? I like, um, I guess maybe hypocrite's not the, not, not the best word, right? I, I want to be holy, but I sin because I'm stupid and I'm weak and I'm selfish and I'm broken. You're human. Uh, Exactly. Um, but I don't go to church with any of the delusion that, oh, I'm, I'm perfectly holy. This is, and I can go into church and, and be this, this grandiose thing. But no, I go into church realizing that I need a savior and that the only person that can save me is Jesus. Well, that's the, the hospital kind of thing. Right. You know, it's, if it's you're not hospital. sick, why would you go to the hospital? Exactly. But if you're, if you're a sinner, you should be going to church. All right. Yeah, and that's the, the other problem too, because it's like I am far from perfect, and it's like, and then people like say, "Oh, dang, you know, you say all those things, and you go to church on Sunday," and it's like, <laughs> "Well, yes, because I am a jerk, and I can be crude or a little crass, but yes, I do love God." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I <laughs> I know that I'm I'm kind of abrasive, um, and I and I don't necessarily mean to be, which I know, which makes it. All, all the more clear that it's part of my natural disposition to kind of be abrasive, probably because I just kind of suck at conversation in general. Well, that's your introvertiness. Yeah, but sometimes I listen to the stuff that like we watch home videos and I'm like, I actually said that and it's recorded. And yeah, that probably wasn't the right thing to say in that moment. Um, uh, I've seen it. 
<laughs> right, right. Cause I, I see I, it more in your personal life than in your your professional life. Oh, that's good. I try to I try to be really conscientious about encounters in my professional life because I know no. that about me that I'm really bad at that stuff. Right. So, like, like I would sit there. Something you may say to GV is like, "Wow, that kind of sounded rude." But I don't really hear oh, that yeah. much. Where you're like, "I was talking to so and so's mom." Yeah. <laughs> if you're like, "Yeah, that sounded kind of rude, David." No. GV <laughs> got mad at me this one time, and it cost us, I think, twenty five bucks. And so, I don't know if I told you the story, but um, we took the the car in for an oil change. And um, they said it needed extra stuff, which, you know, they always do. Like, and it was at yes. the dealership too, which, you know, so I'm walking extra away. Extra stuff costs more. Exactly. So, so I've already signed a way to do, to pay like three or $400 um, for an oil change or whatever else was needed that I don't remember. Or maybe it was like five or $600. I don't know. It was something ridiculous. And then the guy, he asked me, he's like, would you like to make a donation to something? I don't even remember what it was that they're raising money for. And I said, you've already taken $500 from me. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I thought I was just being, you know, tongue in cheek. But apparently, oh. that was extraordinarily rude. I didn't realize that. But later on, when we walked away, GV, GV smacked me and said, that was really rude. I was like, what? What was rude? And he said, you can't say stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I thought I was being cute and funny. I didn't realize Well, did you that. give him money? Oh, yeah. I went back there and I said, hey... Um, uh, I didn't, I didn't intend to sound rude if I was sounded rude before, uh, but here's $25 towards the cause of whatever it was. It was a decent cause. I just don't remember what it was, but I just thought that that was, um, that. Yeah, but <laughs> see, if you say it and then hand them the money, I just kidding. Yeah. That works. Right. But if you have to come back, that yeah. sounds like, Hey, this guy's wife just hit him in the back of the head. No, literally, I told him that too because I was like, <laughs> "Well, then," because well, <laughs> I was like, but then it "My wife said that I came funny. across rude, and I didn't intend to." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is, it's the fact of the giving the money. Mm-hmm. It's the fact as if you said, "Hey, you already robbed me, fool! Now you want me to give you more money?" Yeah. And then you walk away, <laughs> and then come back. It doesn't yeah. look like you were trying to be funny. It looks like yeah. someone said, "Hey, stupid, go give him money." Yeah. Where if you would have given a buddy there, they would have been like, ah, that was a good one. I thought you were being serious, but now it's funny. Yeah, no, no, I was uh, I was being serious at the time, but then when I realized that I was kind of being rude, I was like, oh, I probably got to give this guy some money now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I did. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, yeah, so, but I think, I think we all have, like, personality defects that, um... <laughs> That we give into too often that end up being sinful for us, right? And and that is the picture of this of the suffering Christ, right? This idea of it is we are the body of Christ, and we're we are defective, we are broken, and I think that's probably why Jesus had such a a heart for um, the marginalized, the outcast, the the leper. Right, especially the leper, the 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 one who needed healing, the one whose defect showed externally in their body, where you could actually see their body falling apart. Where, in my particular case, you know, it, whenever I'm giving in to sin and giving in to these failings, my soul is falling apart. But that's interior; people can't see that. Right? That's that's just between God and God and me. But the the leper, on the other hand. He's falling apart exteriorly. And right. so, for Jesus to come and love the leper, some somebody whose defects are on the outside, is showing us that, you know, in our brokenness, he heals us. And that's why that's, – that's grace. That's, that's what Jesus does. He fixes, he restores, he redeems – what is broken. I think that's good because like you think of like blind Bartimaeus in 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 Mark chapter 10. Right? Bartimaeus is blind. He's sitting on the side of the road and Jesus comes by and he hears that Jesus is coming by and he starts coming out to uh, calling out to Jesus. Jesus, um, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? 
and all of the disciples are around they're like shut up dude leave him alone this is you know you're just you're just some guy on the side of the road just leave leave jesus alone he's got more important stuff to deal with right. and um jesus or uh, bartimaeus calls out all the louder jesus son of david have pity on me right and then Jesus says, um, bring him to me. Let him come to me. And then uh, the disciples change their tune real quick. <laughs> They're like, oh, the master's calling you. Come come over. Oh, yeah. Hurry up. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so they help they help Bartimaeus over there. He leaves behind his mat and all that stuff. And they help him over to Jesus. And then Jesus asks this profound question. He says, he says what do you want me to do for you? I think that's beautiful. And it's verse 51. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, master, let, or let me receive my sight. And he said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. All right. And, and immediately he received his sight. And it says here in, in Mark's gospel, he followed him on along, along the way. And that's profound in Mark's gospel because um, Mark, at this point of his gospel, he's made a clear distinction between those who are outside of Christ and those who are in the inner circle of Christ, those who are following along the way versus those who um, are, are opposed to Christ in some kind of way. And Bartimaeus, he follows along the way. But I think that's the, I think that's the difficult part. And that's why I go to church is this, this idea of Jesus asking me, what do you want me to do for you? Right. And, and whether or not I'm saying I want to be healed and sometimes I'm like, I feel a little bit like St. Augustine. He's, he's, I think he'll say, you know, St. Augustine says, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. All right. That was, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was his whole thing. And, and sometimes, um, I feel that way sometimes. Right. It's this idea that, that, that I'm so attached to, and I'm so connected to these, uh, dysfunctions of my life that, I want to be healed, but it's really hard for me to tell you, Jesus, that I want to be healed. Bartimaeus was like, Lord, I want to be healed. That external, that external failure of his, that external defect of his, he's like, Lord, take this away from me. Whereas, as I might, I might piously say, Lord, please take this away from me. You know, Lord, take away my arrogance and my pride. And then, and the next beat turn around and be like super arrogant and prideful, right? It, it's, right. it's, it's this idea that I'm, I'm, I'm extraordinarily attached to my ego. And it's, it's a process. And I think that's where, I think that's where a lot of times we screw up as Catholics when we talk about grace and we talk about conversion and all this stuff is we think that, we think that it's a one time thing. We think that, um, I accept Jesus. Sure, he wipes away. Yeah, I go to confession one time, he wipes away all my sins, and I don't have to worry about anything ever again. And that's and then we and then whenever things don't work out, we're like, oh, I guess, you know, faith failed, so uh, I guess I'm just gonna go do something else now. Right. And and we just drop the idea of God entirely. Right. Right. But that's not that's not what God that's not how for one we're built, but that's not how God's grace works. God's God's grace and constantly invites us, invites us into, um, into salvation. Really, the best analogy that I ever heard was um, in this book that I probably should have brought with me because I totally forgot. <coughs> I think it's, it's called the Meaning of Grace, but I can't remember the author. Some French guy. Anyway, he he gives this analogy that I thought was was perfect. The idea that um, imagine that we've fallen into a well. Now the Calvinist says that um, uh, that uh, that God pulls some people out of the well and not other people out of the well, right? That's that's how God's grace works. Is some people are God's going to pull out of the well, some some people God's not going to pull out of the well, right? The Universalist says that God pulls all the people up out of the well. Uh, the Pelagian says that God gives you the power in order if you in order for you to pull yourself out of the well right if you would if you would only use the gifts that god has given you 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 will you can pull yourself out of the well um but the catholic position is extraordinarily different the catholic position is that god reaches his hand into the well and waits for you to to respond to it 
but it doesn't he doesn't stop there like it's not just like god's hand is just sticking in there no that's uh, imagine god's hand in the well as if that's god the father right but then god the son joins you in the well and tries his best to convince you to grasp onto his father's hand to take his father's hand that he might pull you out of the well and so it's it's a reciprocal relationship Jesus constantly asks us and invites us to to grab God the Father's hand to pull us up out of the well to salvation. And you know what we do? And and if we cooperate with with Jesus and Jesus is able to convince us to to pull up uh, to grab the Father's hand and we he pulls us out of the well. And we are out of the well. We are in a state of grace for the moment being. But God but but we we love that well so much and we fall in again. And Jesus comes in again, you know, and this, this is that idea of Jesus constantly, um, Jesus in the well is the idea of actual grace. This, this idea of prompting us and trying to lead us and trying to convince us to grasp onto God, the father, mm-hmm. trying to convince us to, um, to reject sin or, or, or in, in different instances, it, maybe you're not in sin, uh, um, uh, actual grace gives us the, power or the courage to respond in in a particular situation um, or because it doesn't necessarily have to be that initial response of faith that because actual grace is responsible for that initial response of faith, but also responsible for our cooperation in doing good works, right? Whenever we have the ability to say, uh, I remember distinctly times that I've cooperated with God's actual grace to do good works and distinctly times that I've rejected God's actual grace to do, to do good works. This overwhelming sense that I saw somebody on the side of the road said, "Mm, I know I could, I know I could help that person. And I, I did, or I know I could help that person and I didn't. And though the moments that I went and helped I knew that I cooperated immediately. I knew that I cooperated with God's grace and the times that I I knew that I could help and I didn't immediately. I knew I rejected God's invitation, you know, and maybe not necessarily the, the, the car example all the time, but I can think of several examples in my life where I've had that experience. Immediately. I knew that I, I did what God had called me to do, or immediately I knew that I rejected God in that moment. Hey, can we wait one sec? I want to check on Robert. He's been coughing a bit. Oh, no. Poor guy. Go Yeah, go check on Robert. Yeah. I think because I checked on him, he was kind of woke up. Oh, gotcha. So he better now? I, I think so. I put the blanket on him and gave him some water. I'm going to sing him a song or two. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. All right. All right. Where are we? Um, What was the other thing? Finishing the conversation on grace. Where do we leave off? Uh, where we ended off on the blind Bartimaeus and all that. Oh. Uh, okay. Uh, no, I kind of agree with the, you know, especially when it's easy to ask God to heal our exterior stuff. Because, you know, like I hurt my shoulder and it still hurts a little bit every day or whatever. And it's like, yeah, God, if you could just fix this. So I feel like. They both could go the same because, like, if I stretch and put my arms back and I lay on the floor, this one, my right one, can hit the floor. My left one, if I stretch it to hit the floor, I feel it in the tendons and stuff. So it's like this didn't do this before I hurt my shoulder. So it's like if you could fix that, that'd be great. And I understand why the blind guy would say that because, like, mine's just a very small inconvenience, and that's a big deal. But then back when you're talking about the healing of your soul, maybe later would be nice. Because it's like, oh, I did this, you know, thing that I like to do, but it's really not a good thing to do, you know. Or something like, yeah, I shouldn't be doing cocaine, but it's so much fun. (laughs) Or alcoholism. Cheers. Oh, yeah, you could go there. Yes, exactly. That's what, as we're drinking. Mm Mm-hmm. But, so what I'm saying is it's like, and not, you know, not just doing cocaine, but I'm really abusing it and going to town and then spending my rent money on it or something, you know, I don't know. Well, that, that that's getting too far because that's too many things. But 
I'm trying to think of it better, but like, okay, I really like doing this, but I don't want to do it forever. Right. But this is all hypothetical, everybody. So, and then, <laughs> but I know that if I go to confession and do this and that and swear it off, but I really know that I'm just going to do it again next week. Right. Then right. God save me later because I really want to do this for a while. Right. Yeah, exactly. I could totally see that. Yeah. I think I think that's a, I think that's a, a more common experience than what we'd like to admit, but that's the experience of of the body of Christ, and I think that's why we look so messed up to people because we are messed up, and I think the the bigger problem is is we put up this front as if we're not messed up, like the word to to other people like especially in Christian circles if if you if you show like weakness or whatever then you're not Christian or if you if you're struggling with something then somehow you're not Christian um and and it just bothers me and it's not in all Christian circles like there's like there's a bunch of of people that I hang out with that um they they really get it and they get that that we're all um we're all just trying. That's why I like the, 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 I actually really like the phrase practicing Catholic because I am practicing, but I'm just really bad at it. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I could get better. I could get better and I'm trying to get better, but right now I just kind of suck like any other sport. Um, and, uh, but, but then there's other people that were, like practicing Catholic is that you've made it, that you ought to be saintly and um, everything you, you do is perfect. And therefore, if anything that comes out of your mouth isn't perfect, uh, then then you're not saintly and you're not doing your job and, and you're not being Catholic in the way that you're supposed to be. And therefore, no one needs to know about that. And so much like it's so, I guess, kind of kind of hidden or hushed or just like, and I'm mean, like, think about like the explosion with like the McCarrick thing last year and, and the, the, the sex abuse scandals and all that stuff. Like that's people, um, for, for one, that's, that's diabolical attack against the church. Right. Uh, and two, those are horrible, horrible people. Um, but the people that covered that up horrible as well, Right. At the same time, they're trapped in this idea that we've proliferated, this idea that to be Christian, truly Christian, is to be perfect in some kind of way, or at least on the way to perfection. You know, like right. darn close to perfect, but not quite. So we can't let this beginning out because exactly. then it looks like everything's like that, and that's why we got to cover mm -hmm. it up. Yeah, we can't just send this guy to jail right now. Because then what will that do to the people who believe, right? And, and well, I think I think that would do wonders for the people who believe because – Our people, image. Yeah, right. Our image, right? Let's – Our brand. Are, we, yeah, that's even worse, right? We are broken. You know, the church herself and her teaching is pure and perfect, but her people are a hot mess. You know, like it, I know I'm a hot mess and everybody, everybody else is a hot mess too trying to pretend not to be a hot mess. But the beauty of grace is that God meets us in our hot mess and God calls us to, to healing, constantly asking, what do you want me to do for you? And waiting for us. That's, that's what's beautiful about the, the Bartimaeus thing is by, by God asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? He literally waits for us to say, Lord, take this away from me. You know, that's, that's the gentleness of God. That's, that's the gentleness of grace. That's the beauty that I think gets lost in, in the, in the theology. I think sometimes we can just know all the right things to say or the right things to do and miss the beauty of what Jesus, of who Jesus actually is. This gentle invitation. Jesus knows that Bartimaeus is blind. He's not an idiot, right? right. <laughs> Jesus knows that Bartimaeus wants to be healed of his blindness, but Jesus waits. He for wants Bartimaeus. you to ask. Yeah, to ask for it's it. It's like the ask, seek, knock. Yes. See, you have I, to ask. I use that. Uh, what was it? Uh, on the retreats, we'd have this point at the end where you'd uh, 
tell God how you're feeling. And I was like, oh, we should have a Bible. We're supposed to get a Bible verse for that. And I was like, I got to figure something out to kind of get people to open up. And then it was like, I read that one. And I was like, oh, this is great. Because it's very much where it's like, you know, if you don't, you don't ask or, you know, seek and you shall find and knock and the door shall be opened. But it's like, if you don't do any of those things, I'm not, you're not going to find anything. You're not going to get any open doors. You're not going to get any answers. Because you didn't ask the questions, right. so that's like God's not going to just do stuff. You just got to you got to talk to him about it. So that's yeah, why I, oh, I've ahead. always liked that that reading because I felt like that pushed along for you to actually say something, or mm-hmm. you know, the people listening, you right. know, right. And I think that's where like. Um well, I think that's where our, our Protestant brothers and sisters that that criticize us uh, and they they call the sola fide. To me, that's that's where the that's where the problem lies. Is that Jesus, God, from the very beginning, God has asked for our participation. Right? He puts us right. in the garden, and then he says, "Be fruitful and uh, take care of the garden." Right? That's that's what he tells us to do. Like. So go participate in my creation of life of of the human person, and then go participate in my in my care for creation and planting and gardening and all these things. Right? He's like participate in what I'm calling you to. Right? And yet, uh, sola fide or by faith alone is this idea that God just does everything. And we just we just kind of sit back and let it do us. God's going to take away my addiction if I pray hard enough. Right. You know? I don't have to put any effort into it. Right. And that's not who God is. God constantly asks us throughout all of Scripture to participate. Participate in my covenant. His covenant with Noah. He's like, he's like, all right. I will. I will put my my bow in the sky. I will be your God. You will be my people. All I ask is that you don't kill each other and you don't eat the blood of animals, right? You know, it's it's we participate in 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 communion with God. It's not just um it's not just God doing 100% of the work, but God does put in 100% of himself, right? But we are also called to put in 100% of ourselves, but we constantly fail because we suck. We're broken sinners, right? right. We can't do anything 100% other than think about ourselves. And we even do that bad. Yeah, we kind of do, right? <laughs> and and because our, our our thoughts about ourselves are so so short sighted, which is what gets us into trouble. Um, but uh, but God meets us in that, and He invites us to participate in that. So we can't we can't just say like, um, if I pray hard enough, God will take away this pain, or if I pray hard enough, God will take away this addiction, or if I pray hard enough, God will take away this, or God will fix this, or God will solve this problem, because that's not like God didn't God didn't design us to be his his fish in a fish tank where he can just solve all the problems of the fish tank and make it good. No, God called us children, and part of being children is growing up. And knowing that we need to participate, that we are called to do something, that we are created for work, and that's a good thing. And that you can't have real relationship without without work, without sacrifice, without talking to the other person, without letting go of ourself a little bit. And that's uh, um, I think that's the hardest part for a lot of us is this idea that that we think God should do all the things and we should just – sit back and relax and let God fix it. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like the lazy man's way out of things. Right. Well, I have faith it will be done. Exactly. So it will get so, done. And that's where, that's where like the whole pray, pray the gay away movement came across or pray the addiction away movement and stuff, all this stuff. And then so many people getting disenfranchised with the faith because they prayed super hard and yet they're still gay or they prayed super hard and yet they're still addicted to porn or they're still addicted to um, whatever drug, you know, that, that they're addicted to or they're still alcoholics or whatever, they, no matter how hard they, they pray, right? Right. And, but there's a serious brokenness there, and that's not just God's going to take it away. It's a God will give us moments of grace where we can, especially when it's habitual. Like if you're talking pornography or, or any of these addictions, they're super habitual. Right? 
And so God's going to give us these moments of grace where in those moments, we have the ability to reject that for that moment. Maybe, maybe it just puts off the inevitable for a time, but that time frame goes, gets longer and longer, especially if we start combining the, the moments of actual grace with the moments of sanctifying grace in the sacraments, right? So then the person who's addicted to alcoholism or whatever, or who is addicted to whatever, you know, um, I think pornography is the easiest example. So let's use that example. So the person who's addicted to pornography, you know, in, in a moment of, of, um, strength, they're able to resist looking at porn on the internet. And then, uh, and in a moment of weakness, they fail and look at porn on the internet and they go to confession and they confess the fact that they, the, that they looked at that porn and, and fell into that, fell into that sin. And then, and then through the grace of God and sanctifying grace, they're stronger. They, they, they're, they're stronger to, to say, all right. So the next time that temptation comes along, you know, maybe it's the very next day that the temptation came along again to look at porn and they're able to cooperate with grace that day. And then again, the next day, but not the third day. Right. And so they go to confession again. And then maybe the, the, the next time they're like, all right, I'm able to, the cooperating with, with the sanctifying grace there and the actual grace. Now I'm even stronger to be able to, to fight it the first day, the second day. And the third day, and maybe not the fourth. You see what I'm saying? Like this, this yeah, it, it becomes baby steps. Yeah, it's baby steps. The, uh, one of the most profound analogies I've heard of was this idea of like, imagine Neil that that I told you that I'm gonna I'm gonna book a fight for you uh, against an M an, an MMA fighter, right? Like tomorrow yeah. you're gonna go up against this MMA fighter, and um, uh, it's gonna be a cage match. How well do you think you'll do? <laughs> right. Not right. very well. Right. But then if I said like, um, all right, I'm going to put you up against this MMA fighter who's also an amateur um, and we have a, a year and a half to prepare or something like that. And I'm going to teach you all the ins and outs. Of, and I know, oh, by the way, I've got this professional MMA fighter that's going to teach you all the ins and outs of being able to – you might still lose that fight against that MMA fighter. Well, be a lot more prepared. You'll be a lot more prepared going in, right? So, that's that's our fight with temptation. Whenever we cooperate with the actual grace that God gives us in our life and then we combine that with the sanctifying grace, we allow God to enter into our lives, which is what sanctifying grace is. It's receiving the life of God in you. So that way, it's not just you saying yes to God's um, actual grace prompting you to avoid sin in this particular situation, but it's Jesus in you saying, yes, I want I want you, I want us together to avoid this occasion of sin. Um, it's, it's, it's like having that buddy right there to say, like, let's, let's not do this today, you know? Right. And give, giving you that extra boost to be able to say, yeah, let's not do this today. And that's... Um, yeah, and that's 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 the life of the Christian when it's lived out properly. It's it's a God reveals what is hidden. That's our sin. He reveals what is hidden. And he heals what is hidden. He reveals then he heals. That's what God does. You know, and all too often we either conceal what what is what is broken or we let the devil reveal what is broken and we just and he just accuses us of it right there's no healing that's involved right instead um instead it's just either accusations of this person's a hypocrite or this person's not worth this or whatever or we conceal it like we can't let anybody know all the stuff that we're going through and that's um both of those are major problems because that's not who God is God reveals and God heals and that's that's the beauty of grace. I like that. That's a good way. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I was yeah. I was gonna say that's a good way to end it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if we if we're trying to end this. Um, where can people I, um, I've been doing the I've been re- voiceover recording where people can meet us and where people can find us and join the conversation right um, but it'd be better to do it just live do you know do you know our website and stuff like that 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Where can people well, meet us, Neil? So we're on Facebook. <laughs> do, you know, do you know the at, at on Facebook? At Among Wolves. Among Wolves Pod. Among Wolves Pod. is already taken. So, so find us on Facebook or Instagram uh, at Among Wolves Pod. And yeah. they can also visit us on our website. So if you guys want to visit us on our website, it is awpodcast.fireside.fm because we are one of the one billion podcasts per, uh, powered by Fireside. So so awpodcast.fireside.fm. You can check us out on there and um, find links to anywhere that you can find our podcast. So if you have a friend, be like, hey, you should listen to this podcast. And it's they don't have, um, say, Apple Podcasts or whatever. You can point them to Stitcher or find all the links to where we're at. Or you can join the conversation um, on Facebook or Instagram uh, at, at uh, Pod. Um, so that way you can, you know, maybe talk about what we want, what we've been talking about or, or encourage topics on the, on the podcast as well. We'd love yeah. To hear any of that. that way you can tell us what you want to hear about. Absolutely. That'd be fun. Cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I like how it's called fireside because that was my favorite bar going to for many years. Oh, that's right. There's a fireside right over there. I totally forgot yeah. about that. <laughs>